0: In pursuit of our mission to provide reader-supported, nonpartisan news and information, the Nevada Independent sometimes accepts sponsorships of events and the podcast. Sponsors have no input into topics or content. This episode of Indy Matters is sponsored by the Nevada Mining Association. Now for why you came tonight. You know, I like to tell this story about Harry Reid's advice to his son Rory about running for the Clark County Commission. Harry said to Rory, don't do it. Don't do it. The Clark County Commission is a political boneyard. If you ever want to be governor, don't run for the Clark County Commission. Well, Rory ran, as you know, and he became chairman of the Clark County Commission. Then he ran for governor and he lost, as his dad had warned him he would. But the second Democratic chairman of the commission to run defied what I like to call the Reed Doctrine. And he won last year. Then again, he didn't run against Brian Sandoval, as Rory did. He ran for Brian Sandoval's third term, as you remember. So that helped a little bit. You can clap. It's a good line. It's fine. So for those of you who've been around a while, and even if you hadn't, you know that Steve Sisolak's campaign for governor, both in the primary and the general, was one of the best that we've seen in this state. You know, governor's races here usually aren't even that fun to cover. They aren't that competitive. But this one was, and the governor, proved to be a formidable candidate. He also got more $10,000 contributions than anyone who has ever ran, I think. And I'm thinking of hiring him as a fundraiser for the Indy. What do you think? <laughs> you know, it's early. His friends in the legislature as a group haven't even convened yet. But the governor's made some great early appointments. And as I mentioned earlier, you saw the real sincere emotion uh, when, when he was inaugurated. It, it was real and it was raw. And it was kind of nice to see, wasn't it? It was. You know, it was also nice to hear the first-ever mention of Piggly Wiggly in an inaugural speech. I actually want to tell the governor, I've been to the Piggly, Wig- Piggly Wiggly in Wisconsin. But I also want him to know that a few days ago, when Wisconsin, his home state, uh, defeated the previously undefeated Michigan team in a heartbreaking loss, that will not affect my questions at all tonight. I think I met the governor first time about 25 years ago when he first ran for office and his driving ambition through the years has been evident for all to see. Also evident for all to see has been his ability to dodge questions. (laughs) Let's see how that goes tonight. Please welcome the 30th governor of Nevada, Steve Sisolak. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Governor, thanks for coming. It's a pleasure, John. I'm glad to you, hear you've got so many students here today. Yeah. I appreciate you all coming out. Appreciate it. Isn't that great? It's very nice, yeah. You're feel, teaching them. Does it feel real yet? Well, it's sinking in. It's it is? It's slowly sinking in. What's it's, making it sink in? Uh, the work. No, I, I, I'm really... I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I've been back and forth between here and Carson City numerous times. I go back up early tomorrow morning, and I'll be up through the start of the session, and uh, we're having a good time, learning a lot. Uh, We've made some big appointments and getting our policies in order and working with legislative leadership and meeting some of the new folks coming in. So it's been uh, educational for me, and I'm enjoying it. What surprised you the most so far? Jeez. Uh... Already stumped them.
0: Who had the over? Who had
1: the under? I don't. I don't think anything's really surprised me. I don't think anything surprised no. me. It's a. It's a lot of work. I expect it to be a lot of work. Uh, I have been very, very fortunate. I think I've hired the best chief of staff that anybody's ever had, in Michelle White. Uh, I know Mike Wilden did a great job for for Brian, but. Uh, Michelle has just been rock solid for me, and we've made some like good appointments, and I'm thrilled with how that's progressing. We've got a few more to go, but it's something that I'm looking forward to, and I really believe in talking to Jason and Kelvin, we'll be able to accomplish some good stuff this year.
0: You know, it's interesting, uh, and, and I've known you a long time, as I mentioned. Uh, you, you put your daughters front and center I did. Uh, in, in your campaign, and after you're, you're elected, uh, it's been a couple of months now or so, what do they want you
1: to do? Be myself. That's all they really want me to do. Uh, I am blessed with two great kids. I've got uh, very strong women in my life. My mom's 92, and it's, uh, this Friday's going to be my four-week anniversary of getting married to oh, Kathy. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> She's the best thing that's happened to me, obviously. Uh, they were very, very supportive of me, my daughters. Were, they always have been. We've got a close bond because of the way they grew up, so uh, it's been a tremendous experience for all of us.
0: They have have any specific policies they really want you to push? No. They don't? No. Would you tell me if they did? No. Okay. That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a lot of people here, uh, Governor, might not know about what your real start in politics was. They know about you being a regent and and, and a county commissioner. But it actually began in 94 and 96 when you actually ran for the state senate uh, unsuccessfully against Bill O'Donnell and then uh, Ann O'Connell. Sorry to remind you of this.
1: those are two losses, John. Yes. They're reminding me of the losses. I,
0: but what I've been wondering as I've been thinking about tonight, Governor, is besides Dina Titus and her persuasive skills and getting and getting you to run, you were a businessman at the time. You were successful uh, b- back then. Why did you want to get into public office? W- what prompted you to do it in the first place?
1: I have been fortunate. I moved to Nevada in 1976 and uh, graduated from UNLV, got my MBA at UNLV, and had a couple small businesses. and. I've been blessed, I've been very fortunate, and I want the next generation, including my kids, to have the same opportunities that I had, and anything I can do to contribute to that. My dad's been gone now for about 16 years, and uh, he always told me, try to leave the world a little bit better place, than you found it, and that's what I intend to do.
0: And, but when you first, uh, I mean, what made you think that it would be fun to get into public uh, life after after being a successful businessman? Uh, I mean, what was what was the pitch and, and what, what was it that was inside you that said, I want to do this?
1: The first time I think I was a little naive. Uh, when I got talked into running, I had no idea what it was really going to be all about. But uh, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I really got to speak to a lot of people, understand a little bit better what's going on, and uh, wanted to Lobby for things that were good—I think uh, good laws and good regulations—and uh, for the regular everyday folks. So that's what got me motivated.
0: Yeah, you lobbied the legislature. It you did. knew a little bit about the process, and then you said, "Hey, I can do that."
1: Well, that is what I thought, but I was unsuccessful. I got the hat and a T-shirt to show for both those losses. <laughs> uh, it was uh, education, like I say. Well, I went up against two well-funded uh, Republicans, and. Uh, we ran good campaigns, just came up a little bit on the short end, but I learned a lot about politics, and then moved on to the Board of Regents when there was an opening there. when Matty Graves asked me to run. Uh, it was his seat. And then uh, when term limits kicked in, and uh, Commissioner Woodbury couldn't run anymore, took that as a challenge.
0: You don't want to talk about that whole episode, do you? Sure. No, I'm I don't open want to talk about it. it. No, that up. was fun. Um, but, <laughs> well, what I am curious about, and I think people still, uh, there are some people who still don't know a lot about where is Steve Sisolak on the political spectrum? I mean, where is he, if you put, in the, the Democratic Party, if you put Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez here, maybe, and you, and you put Joe Manchin here. I mean, you sounded pretty liberal during that State of the State speech, which we'll get to in a minute, as, as you know. Uh, but when you were on the Clark County Commission, you were really seen as a business Democrat. Uh, you supported a lot of development projects, some of which were controversial. Um, you went after some of the public employee unions at times, and and even Metro. Uh, you took on for a few uh, for a while over the sales tax, and that was before you gave away the store to the Raiders. But we'll get to that in a
1: second. <laughs> Somehow I knew that was coming, John. Somehow I knew that one was coming.
0: Well, well I mean, you. Might, I mean. I don't like labels. You probably don't either, liberal, no. moderate, conservative. But talk about what, what, what is your political philosophy? What governs you? Where do you think you fit in the spectrum?
1: I don't know. I guess I leave that to you know, pundits like yourself. I really consider myself a pragmatist, a realist, a common sense type of a philosophy I use in governing. I consider myself a Nevadan and a family man first. And if it's in the best interest of my constituents and the citizens of Nevada, I support it. If not, I'll take you head on. You know, the the, the the criticism of someone who
0: describes themselves the way you just did as a pragmatist is, well, what does he really believe in? And if someone said to you, what do you really believe in? What There are lines that you won't cross, mm-hmm. certain issues that, that are really, you're really passionate about. Obviously, education was one because you, you were on uh, the Board of Regents f- f- for a while, but... What are the issues that really get you going and, and I think you probably learned some stuff even as you ran for governor about issues you didn't even know about whether it's the uh, prisons or or, yeah. or, or or other kinds of issues right?
1: I did learn a lot and I continue to learn uh, every single day, you know whether it's about horses or prisons or whatever it might be dhss and uh, I guess what I my philosophy is that the everyday person in my opinion that the economic robust that we've experienced in the last you know Eight ten years has not made it down to the everyday Nevadan. I mean, they haven't had the opportunity to experience some of the uh, increases and in the benefits that have resulted from economy. And I want to make sure that, as I said in my speech, that every Nevadan around every dinner table has the same opportunity for advancement that the wealthy and those sitting on boards of directors have had for the last ten years. <clears throat>
0: Why, why is that, do you think? And you, you've articulated this before. I think you mentioned it in the State of the State to some extent. Why hasn't that, if it's true, and I assume you've picked that up from talking to a lot of people plus mm-hmm. looking at statistics, why is it true that it hasn't trickled all the way down to some people?
1: I think our structure, the way it's set up, I mean, a lot of the taxes that we have are regressive when you get to sales tax and when you get the fuel tax and some of those things, and I think that with our wage structure it is, as it is, it's difficult for somebody to make that big leap up from, you know, from being basically on the bottom of the ladder, the socioeconomic ladder, to a few rings up, and it's a tough, uh, parents work their entire lives to support their kids and get them an education so that they can make that leap. And I think as a government, it's our responsibility <laughs> to make sure that everybody's treated equally, whether it comes to education, whether it comes to job opportunities, whether it comes to care, that everybody has a chance. And that's what I believe in, and that's what we're going to fight for for the next 4 years.
0: Um. <clears throat> Okay, no more applause. I'm kidding. Uh, you have had a lot. I mentioned Brian Sandoval jokingly earlier. Third term for Brian Sandoval. But you accepted much of what he had in, in, in his budget. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Uh, but are you offended by me saying this is Brian Sandoval's third term? Or do you think it is?
1: Well, I don't think it's, it's my first term. I mean, is it going to be similar to what Brian's <laughs> would have been in his third term? It might very well be. Uh, he and I have a lot of the same... Uh, philosophies. I count uh, Governor Sandoval as a friend. I mean, he he did an incredible job as far as I'm concerned for the state of Nevada while he was there. That deserves a round of applause. uh, We disagree on a few things, but we agree on an awful lot of them. I mean, he showed a lot of political courage, especially with the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, He helped an awful lot of people and that's something that I want to continue. I think he stood up and he did the right thing even against his own party sometimes and against what might have been the opinion of his advisor. You think he voted for you? <laughs> After some things that are said, I doubt that he voted for my opponent. But I don't know. We're gonna have to wait and see that. Mm.
0: All right. Let's talk. Let's talk about the State of the State speech, okay. and let's 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 go through some of the things in there. Okay. And let me let me start with with uh, um, You got a lot of
1: pages of questions. I do indeed. It, I thing. do
0: indeed. Settle in, everybody. We're gonna be here all night. Uh, so. One of the things that you mentioned very early in your speech, and you seem very proud of it, and I'm going to read from it, okay? And then we're going to talk about it. This budget is presented without any new taxes. Let me say that again. This balanced budget does not contain any new taxes. Okay, George Bush 41. No new taxes, John.
1: There were no new taxes. We're reading
0: your lips. Well, well, not exactly. Exactly, there were no new taxes in there. There was this trigger for the payroll tax, also known as the modified business tax. It was designed when the commerce tax was passed and it was supposed to balance out. They didn't want to create a windfall. They didn't want to create a situation where, where Kenny Gwynn had where he had to give back all, the, all this money for political reasons. And you're also keeping all these millions of dollars that are supposed to go into the highway fund through the government services tax just so you can arguably, and I say arguably, claim not to have raised taxes. You're raising taxes.
1: I'm not raising taxes. Let's do the second one first. Okay. If you're talking about the highway tax, it's a continuation of a redistribution of a current tax. That's not a tax increase. It wasn't supposed to go on though, was it? The redistribution? Yeah. You can always redistribute things. Uh, Sometimes in your budget, you take from your household budget and you have to do a home repair. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, that's just a continuation of a redistribution is all that is. A sunsetting of a tax that we're going to just delay the sunset of the tax is not an increase. That's a delay of a sunset. You think a lot of people out there are buying this? I, I don't
0: hear them clapping for that one. Well, that's what it is. I mean, you know... Uh, Taxes is never sunset.
1: Even Governor Sandoval said... I'm not said- the one who passed okay. the tax. Uh, you know, I, I'm not uh, the one who passed the tax. I'm the one who's just continuing the sunset. You that's are- all I'm doing. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm I'm Mother Nature in this argument, John. I'm I'm just continuing the sunset. Where is the sunrise, sir? When is <laughs>
0: it going to be morning in Nevada again? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess uh, we're being facetious here, and 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 uh, people can argue semantics whether right. it's a tax increase or not. But you decided to do that for a reason, and, and yeah. there are there are a lot of small businesses who thought that that payroll tax was going down. Uh, they they may have even relied on it. Um, and so, you th- I mean, is the only reason you did that uh, because you didn't want to have to raise taxes, or was there some public policy reason for that? No,
1: I, it? I disagree with you, John. I don't think any business relied on the sunset of that tax to stay in business for another year. I didn't
0: say to stay in business, and, no. I, and, and it is no, a, very I, amount, yeah, it, and a very small but amount. Yeah, it is a very small amount. But if you are a large but, employer, they might be upset with you, too, and those are the important ones, right?
1: No, I don't think they are upset <laughs> with me. I okay. think that they view it the way I view it. If And I listened to some of. Uh, the individuals that i to be working with in Carson City as they're related to this, these two moves. Uh, if you want to cut meals on wheels and not feed our seniors, or you want to cut mental health, or you want to make our schools less safe than I allocated for the budget, go ahead and argue with me. But I don't think the vast majority of our legislators or the citizens of the city of Nevada think that that's a wise thing to do.
0: You guys just heard the leverage that he's going to use against the legislature, you're going to keep repeating that the entire session. Are you not? I don't think
1: I need any (laughs) leverage. I think that, you know, common sense, I think everybody up there has a heart. And I met with these senior citizens, we had 900 and some odd on the uh, wait list to get Meals on Wheels. I mean, that's unconscionable to me. Uh, We need more medical, uh, mental health professionals in our schools and in our communities. And uh, those are just some things, I mean, we need to make our schools safer. We had a committee that was set aside that studied school safety, and it's incumbent upon us to make the investment necessary to keep our communities safe and to service those and provide the basic necessities for those who don't have much. And that's why I continue with what I did.
0: You better enjoy this. This is going to be the best not, part of the I'm night for you. And I'm not dodging it. I'm going to own no. it. I mean, no, that's what I, I did. I, you know, I, don't think you're do- I don't think you're dodging it at all. But you're talking about the spending side, and a lot of people in this room and, and a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle are going to agree with Meals on Wheels and some of the other things that, that, that you're funding, I think. It's not that. It's how you're doing it. Uh, and and you, you essentially said uh, that the revenue structure of Nevada is responsible for the economic boom. It, it, it's not, it ain't broke. Let's not fix it. So. The revenue structure is fine, and you're just going to keep sunset, not sunsetting things that are supposed to be sunset? Is that the well, no, SISL Act the, policy? The,
1: the, the revenue structure had those taxes in place, and I think they're working just fine. The revenue structure, as I inherited from Governor Sandoval, is doing very, very well. And our revenue structure moving forward, the next biennium, is going to be the same revenue structure. So I think that's a positive thing, and we're going to provide more services than were provided under the previous budget. Uh, from a political standpoint, some people would say, oh, why did he
0: do that? Now he's given the Republicans, who essentially would be irrelevant otherwise in Carson City. You know, you know they can meet in a phone booth in the Assembly, and there's barely, <laughs> there's barely more of them uh, in, in, in the Senate. Uh, there's one short of a supermajority. In, in the Senate, it's going to take two-thirds to, to get those things done now, the sun sets. You gave the Republicans leverage to hold the whole session up. Thanks a lot, Governor.
1: Well, you're the one that said it's going to take two-thirds. I'm not convinced it's necessarily going to take two-thirds. One of them, I'm certain, is not going to take two-thirds. I'm pretty confident. You know, the... Uh, continuation of the redistribution is not going to take two-thirds. There's a disagreement among legal scholars whether or not the other one will take two-thirds. But besides that, you know, I don't want the Republicans meeting in a phone booth. I, I, I'm a firm believer, as I said in my speech, I want everybody coming together. I met with leadership, uh, both minority and majority, and I believe for us to be a stronger Nevada, I want to hear everybody's ideas. I want to hear everybody's ideas. I want to hear everybody's proposals. And I think if we sit down and we get together and reach a consensus, we'll make better laws that the state will be better for. I want everyone to be relevant. Good luck.
0: (laughs) Uh, the, The Rainy Day Fund. Uh-huh. And what you're doing with that, that's been controversial for a long time. How much should be in the rainy day fund? You had to deal with essentially a rainy day fund when when you were at the county commission mm-hmm. to some extent. But by law, you have to have 5% in there. And what you're doing is you're essentially taking $150 million out of there to help balance your budget. I don't know how many people know that. You're putting $45 million a year in. But you're taking $150 million out of there to balance your budget. And so. I really want you to give me a candid answer to this, if, if, if that's possible. Did you spe- essentially say, I want to spend all this money on X, Y, and Z, and I'm not criticizing the spending priorities, but we need to figure out some kind of gimmickry so we don't do this and raise taxes, and that's why you came up with this not sunsetting the tax and sweeping $150 million out of the Rainy Day Fund. That conversation occurred, right?
1: You give me a lot more credit than <laughs> I deserve, John. You give me a lot more. No, that conversation did not occur. Uh, We're uh, obligated to, under law statute, to provide for the Rainy Day Fund, to make contributions of the Rainy Day Fund. We're doing that. Uh, The last session is the first one that that was done under Brian Sandoval, of Governor Sandoval, and we're going to continue that through uh, this biennium, uh, because we're going to need that at some time. Whether that recession comes in two years or comes in five years or ten years, we're definitely going to need that. The last time we had a Rainy Day Fund, we cut through it like nothing. Uh, because we didn't have enough money in there so it's put in there for reason and that's what it's going to say uh, i guess what i'm wondering is how many people uh, uh know that
0: with the economic forum saying things are going well 590 million or so uh, of new revenue what you've done is essentially you are spending 400 million or so above that through the methods that i just described in addition to diverting i believe 54 million uh, uh do i have that number right i think i do from which From the from the pot tax right That's good. Yeah, see, I've I've studied your budget, sir. You did. Okay, so uh, almost a billion dollars in new spending. You're comfortable with that? I am. You are? Why?
1: Because we're in a robust economy right now. Uh, Unemployment's at a record low. I think that, you know, the economy is moving along fine. As you said, and I appreciate bringing it up, we're going to have more revenue coming from the new stadium that we're going to have online. Did I bring that up? You did bring that oh, okay. up. You did bring that I don't up. Remember. <laughs> and the increase in the marijuana tax, so I'm comfortable that our revenues will meet projections and, and we won't have any type of a shortfall. Uh,
0: I, I guess I guess what I'm wondering is though, I mean, did that number like did it give you any sticker shock at all? What? A billion dollars almost?
1: I spent a long time going over uh, the budget with our analysts and, and my advisors and spent some long nights up in the the governor's office looking at the various numbers and after going through them and massaging them and understanding the revenue sources and the expenditures i feel comfortable that we're going to be in a good sound financial position as i said i've known you for a
0: while here's what i think probably happened and correct me if i'm wrong you you went through and you learned about all these programs you didn't know a lot you didn't know in granular detail what the state budget looked like before you ran maybe even until after you won and 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 i think you said listen I can't cut this. We need to keep going with this, and we need to find a way to pay for it. And uh, I don't want to raise taxes, but this is what I believe in as the governor. Did something like that happen?
1: Uh, uh, That's a yes. That's that's pretty close to a yes. That's pretty close to a yes. Uh, There are certain things that I feel very, very strongly about. Uh, Mental health is one issue that I feel incredibly strong about. We need much more in the way of mental health. It's been woefully underfunded we're investing more in uh, mental health and has been done in a decade we're investing more in health and human services than we have ever put into the budget before I feel that uh, pre-existing conditions must be continued to be covered those are things that are uh, absolutely just non-starters for me that are so so important to me and yes I said to my staff here's a list of ABCD and these got to be included in there so let's find a way to make it work and uh as I said, I've got a great staff and they made it work. Well,
0: you brought up mental health and I was going to get to health care a little later, but I'll let you control the agenda briefly. Uh, so let's talk about mental health. And this is, I followed the legislature um, since before you first ran. Sorry to bring that up again. And You're older uh, than I thought, uh, John. Yeah, I, I, am. A- I am. <laughs> I am. Ain't it the truth? Uh, so mental health has been something that very few legislators or governors, by the way, have really said out, out, put, put out front. You made a big deal in your speech If there's been more money infused into health and human services than ever before. And, and you put mental health really as, as, as a focal point. Talk about what you found and you learned a little bit about this probably as a county commissioner and then and with UMC and, and how they're treated in emergency rooms and all of that stuff. You can't, I don't want to use the word fix, Governor, but what what can you really do that's going to have an impact, do you think?
1: Uh, You're right, I learned a lot about mental health on the county commission. Sadly, I learned through 1 October, you know, about mental health. Uh, I learned that uh, a third of the inmates we have incarcerated at CCDC aren't criminals or mental health patients. Uh, I learned that uh, we had this crisis when we were shipping folks to California with mental health related issues. I've learned that it's uh, a lot of our homeless problem is a mental health situation. These are things that I learned on the county commission that I'm taking with me. Uh, I think what we need are more trained professionals in the mental health field. We need more inpatient beds to put folks in. Right now, unfortunately, if an officer picks somebody up for vagrancy or loitering, or whatever it might be, or a mental health related issue, there's no place else to take them but CCDC. They're stabilized, they're given prescription medication maybe for 30 days. and the door revolves and they're back out the door again. Uh, That's just the way it is, and that's something that simply can't work. We we, we need to do what we can to stabilize these folks and make them a productive member of our society. And I think to do that, we have to make an investment, and that's a big dollar investment that the state is making, but I think you're gonna see benefits in the long run.
0: You, you say more beds. That, that That's probably the most expensive proposition of really? all this. Do a lot of new facilities need to be built, uh, do you think?
1: Well, I don't know how many new facilities need to be built and how many things can be repurposed that we can do. Uh, clearly, part of our jail issue is, is mental health. Our, a big part of our homelessness is mental health. I think our schools need more mental health counselors. I mean, they're doing a lot more in terms of... Uh, talking to these kids on the tip lines and so forth and so on. If we catch a problem early, we can prevent it from being a much bigger problem later on down the line. And I think that it's something that we have underinvested in for decades. And it's not an additional, it's part of our health care system. Mental health is part of our health care system. And it needs to be treated as a disease, which it is. And hopefully we can get people some, some relief. <clears throat> Earlier, you mentioned the courage that Brian
0: Sandoval had to expand Medicaid. He was the first Republican governor to do it. He took a lot of heat, but he stood by it, Uh, and and it became a big issue, as you know, last year, even in the election, and he stood by what what, what he had done. Uh, There was a bill, unseen anywhere else in the country, that was presented last time. Uh, uh, It was a Medicaid for all bill uh, that my uh, uh, reporter, Riley Snyder, takes credit for nicknaming Sprinkle Care after Mike Sprinkle. Um, the governor vetoed it. The governor vetoed it. There were a lot of people around the country watching that, Governor, uh, hoping that he would sign it. He vetoed it. Would you have signed that bill?
1: I don't know if I would have signed it in the form that it was in. There's well, why not? A, there's a numerous. There are numerous bills out there right now that are going to deal with Medicaid expansion and Medicaid for all. Uh, I think it's a bigger problem that can be handled in one session. I really do. I think that it's something that we need to get everybody. That's why I advocated a patient protection commission to bring everybody together, the healthcare providers, the insurance companies, the drug, uh, the pharmaceuticals, big pharma, and come up with a common sense solution. Uh, Unfortunately, in some of these things, there's unintended consequences, and I don't think that was thoroughly vetted. I don't know if I'd have signed it, I'll be honest.
0: When you say unintended consequences, what are you worried about? And I'm wondering also why you say it can't be done in one session. That bill passed, we would have had Medicaid for all, would we not?
1: You would have had Medicaid for all, but I don't know what the unintended consequences of that would have been. Uh, there is a, a funding issue, and there's a uh, we've got a lot of issues to deal with in terms of health care. You've got price gouging on prescriptions, you've got surprise billing, you've got a multitude of issues that all need to be brought together, this piecemeal approach. Uh, is it working? And I don't think it was thought out well enough. I think the same thing happened with uh, cannabis. It was not, some of the We're get to unintended that, consequences worry. weren't thought about, and it's causing more problems on the back end now than if we'd have handled them at the beginning. So uh, I would just like a little more thought put into it.
0: So you're suggesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to piece together what you just said, uh, basically that you can't just do Medicaid for all without considering the impact on other parts of the healthcare system, and you should try to do something in a more comprehensive way. And is that what this, because the Patient Protection Commission, and the, we can't do it in, in one session. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like, oh, let's put this off. I don't want to have to deal with the expense, and let's do let's do a blue ribbon task force. How many times uh, have we heard that? That's what it sounds like.
1: No, that, that's not at all what I'm talking about. I think that you need to get, if you can have something that works, like right now we are continuing to fight over the Affordable Care Act, Uh, I would like to get everybody at the table, I'd like to get business and I'd like to get labor and I'd like to get the healthcare professionals together and say yes, this will work as opposed to having people, after it's passed, trying to fight to make it not work. And that's a big concern for me.
0: What world are you living in where you think that you're going to get all these interests around the table, oh yes, Governor, let's do something all together and they'll sing Kumbaya or We Are the World or whatever they sing and everything will be fine.
1: I don't think that they're going to sing kumbaya, yeah. but I think I've got a good chance of getting them all to come together. That's one thing I did on the county commission. I'm proud of the fact I was able to build a consensus. And If you can sit Sheldon Adelson and Mark Davis down at the same table and get them to agree on something, I think that you've made some progress. And I think we can do that. How, in How did that too.
0: relationship turn out, after all, Governor?
1: <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, we've got a convention center expansion in the stadium, so it worked
0: out okay. It worked out okay? You're going <laughs> to... Are you gonna like mention the Raiders Stadium like in the, every like segment here? Yeah. Probably. Okay. I'm gonna figure. I'm I haven't gotten to the Golden Knights <laughs> yet. I'm gonna mention I that one too. The Golden Knights. The, 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 I don't, how much tax money did you did you spend on that? Well,
1: that's good. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> and anyhow, well, we'll get to. That. Yeah. I really want to finish up on healthcare because I think it's important. And you did mention a couple of things. Uh, uh, and another landmark bill that was passed that the governor first vetoed, but then a compromise was reached is as is a, is a drug transparency bill uh, for diabetes drugs, which which uh, I think the pharmaceutical industry is very worried about. They're just filing these reports now. There's not a lot of transparency yet uh, on that. And you've talked about uh, something that you called uh, during the campaign, something called Silver State scripts. Do you remember this? I do. Okay. Uh, I thought it might have just been something on your website. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but so somehow this is going to be formed and this is going to help negotiate lower drug prices. I think there are a lot of people worried uh, who believe in in, in transparency and in and, and, and reigning in pharma. I think there are a lot of people in that legislature who, who believe in that, who wonder what the next step is. How would this work?
1: I think we do need to rein in pharma. I think that there are... Uh we need to negotiate the best price we possibly can for our pharmaceuticals Uh, by combining different buying groups and the buying power increase everybody in the big pharma industry is telling me that that can be a very effective way to do that you're talking about you know if it's diabetes you know that's one that drug is relatively inexpensive as it compares to the drug cocktails that they're prescribing for people that have uh, very difficult to treat diseases that have a small uh, universe of folks that buy the drugs but I believe that uh, the pharmaceutical companies, that I've met with numerous of them at the national governor's conference and uh, understand that they're kind of have a target, not kind of, they have a target on their back right now, and they want to come to the table and uh, negotiate. So I think that we'll be able to take advantage of
0: that. Is this the same table that all those other interests are, I mean, is there one table? Yeah, on? a different day, it's the same table. You use it, it's
1: good use of resources. We use the I table mean, over and over again. Uh, <laughs> We don't keep buying new tables, John. We don't have your budget. (laughs) A fiscal conservative, after
0: all. I I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is one thing, as I said, I'll keep going back to this, I've known you a long time, and and you have done some things in the county commission where you did forge consensus on on certain things, but these are very thorny, difficult issues with a lot of different special interests, whether it's prescription drugs, or, 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 or just healthcare in general, the surprise billing, uh, issue is going to be a huge issue in, in, in the legislature. They've been trying to address it uh, for a long time. Uh, you're not naive, is, is the point that, that I'm making. You know how difficult this is going to be. So just saying you're going to you know, come in and, uh, and, and do Nikita Khrushchev
1: on the table and bang your and everything's going to be fine, it's not
0: going to work that way.
1: Well, you view them as difficult issues. I view them as big opportunities. I mean, I think that they're an opportunity to provide a uh, better quality of life for the citizens of the state of Nevada. And I firmly believe that if you bring them in a room, you put them around the table that I'm going to continue to reuse, <laughs> and I lock the door, I'll Is be able Is it round to co- or
0: square? What it's kind it look- of an oblong no, table. It's kind of a, a okay, conference okay. Table. <laughs>
1: Uh I think we'll be able to come up with a consensus. I think that you could solve the situation we're dealing with in Washington right now. If you sat five people in a room without their attorneys, locked the door, and said nobody can walk out of this room until we come up with a solution, we wouldn't have our federal workers in the situation that they're in right now.
0: And you're saying you're willing to do that on on these issues. You're going to do that. You're going to take the lead, as opposed to saying, Uh, which you've kind of said, I'll let the legislature take care of that, and I'll come in at the end and decide whether I'm going to sign it. You're going to be an active participant. You're going to be calling these people in around this mythical oblong table, and you're going to get something done.
1: John, it's not a mythical table. The table exists. It's a reused table. It exists. The table exists. Yes, I'm going to call people in, and first I'm going to seek input from various groups, and... I'd rather be proactive and get people talking up front so that you can reach a common uh, agreement, you can reach a consensus before you have to get to vetoing something or uh, um, holding somebody hostage or whatever it might be. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer that if everybody talks and you get something and everybody walks out of the room a little angry with me for the discussion, we're probably in a good place and we probably reached a good compromise. Well, good luck. Thank you. I mean it, you. I mean it. Uh,
0: Let's talk about education. and you can't
1: come to the meetings. No, either, I, so I, <laughs> maybe Riley. Maybe we'll Riley. Riley, and I don't know. Don't
0: worry. I think the bugs are still intact at the oblong table. Don't worry, about it. we're okay. good.
1: I'll uh, check that.
0: So let's talk about education, which I was going to get to before you started talking about health care, which is the other big issue uh, to you, and, and is always a big issue. Every governor is the education governor. Uh, Brian Sandoval. Um, uh, uh, pushed through in 2015, the largest tax increase in history, and he actually got done uh, some reforms and changed the way that education is funded in some ways. Are there any programs that he got passed, um, that, uh, reforms, that you don't like, that you think need to be
1: revisited? Uh, boy, uh, I would not, rather not have so much categorical funding as we have right now, whether it's Victory or Zoom or some of those sort of things. I, Why not? because I don't think it's getting down to every single student. I think that gets to some students depending on your zip code and depending at the school that you're at. But if you're not at a, uh, a Zoom school and you're an ELL student, you don't get any benefit from it. Uh, I would rather uh, have it be part of the weighted formula in the DSA uh, and every student could get the benefit from that. Unfortunately, I got the budget very, very late. We got up there and we were able to spend a lot of time studying and just a little bit of time tweaking and uh, i think we'll be more aggressive next time around but i would rather see that in the weighted formula in the dsa account so that every student regardless of their zip code regardless of their family income would get the benefit from those programs and currently that's not the case
0: yeah i mean it, it, it is true go ahead uh, it is true that when, when you when you say you're going to spend hundred million and you're continuing for instance with the zoom schools there are schools with similar kinds of problems uh, that are not getting the benefit of that funding. So you're essentially, as I've said when I talk about this, you're creating a caste system, right? You have a haves and, and, and the have-nots to some extent. But that's a function of spending too, right? You'd have to spend a lot more money to make it equitable, wouldn't you?
1: No, I don't think you would have to spend more money. You'd have to you'd take the same amount of money and you divide up the money and the money follow the student. Regardless of what school the student goes to, if you're an ELL student or you're a student with special needs, for your student that has, is on the autism spectrum, that money would follow you to whatever school that might be. Whether it's an inner city school, or an urban school, or a rural school, whatever that might be. And, and I think that all our students would be much better off for that. The complaint I got in campaigning for a year and a half, two years, was that they saw this tax increase, but people are saying, this money never got to my kids. My school isn't any different than it was before this tax increase. So what was the point of that? So I think we're gonna have to make some changes. What kind of changes? I would like to see the categoricals eliminated and moved into the DSA count eventually. That's something I want to work <laughs> with the legislature about. That's I think st- that the report card and in my discussions with uh, both, particularly Washoe and Clark, the school districts, uh, the juries out on how effective some of these programs are. I mean, I think you've, you've read, you've provided some of the coverage on that. And uh, I think time will tell, but I would think it's better if we put it into a, equally weighted formula that everybody gets a chance at those resources.
0: That's a pretty sub- substantial change. I mean, I understand you got the budget late, but you're talking about unraveling a lot of what was done in 2015 then, I think, are you not?
1: No, I don't think you're unraveling it. I think you're just shifting and reallocating. I mean, the the money for ELL should not go to the school, it should follow the student, wherever that student is. It, it's, it's, not, it's not the school that has trouble with ELL. It's the student that has trouble with ELL. The money should go to the student, not go to the building. That's the way we're doing it now, and I think it's backwards. That's just my opinion. But
0: uh, even though I think it's it's, it's facile to say it's all about money, it to some extent has to do with money and more money. We're still way below, unless you do some crazy math uh, uh, over on Bonanza Road, uh, the bottom line is is that we're way below the national average in in per-pupil funding. Doesn't that bother you?
1: It does. It does bother me. I mean, I came from uh, Wisconsin, and uh, I got to meet a lot of the governors at both the NGA and the DGA, and we had long conversations about education, and when we compared numbers, it was, frankly, it was embarrassing. It's embarrassing to say, you know, we're at the bottom of every one of these lists. Uh, I saw your thing the other day about one was best, and twi- the only one I disagree with is the quality of our universities, because I don't think that we're 47th and 49th. I think we're much better than that. Right, all the you and all these students out there, we're not better than that? So, uh, but we need to do better. We're at the bottom of too many lists, and we don't respect our teachers, we don't pay our teachers, and we need to start making some changes. I think... Uh, it's gonna cost a lot of money. It is gonna cost money, John, but its gonna, you can invest in students, and in our education system, you can invest in the prison system. I mean, take your pick. I mean, we, you have to stand for something and uh if you don't stand for something you fall for anything and I'm going to stand for education. Uh you did you did uh you did propose a 3%
0: raise uh, in, in the first year I, I believe for teachers, right? Correct. Um for
1: educators. Okay, for, for, that's right. Um it's a lot you, more than teachers. They have a great support staff and that's they right. deserve the same Fair credit. enough,
0: fair enough. Um, this, this has gone on for a lot of years too as the governor proposed these raises but the money then goes down to the school district uh, oftentimes right and then becomes subject to you know what I'm ta- about to say oh I
1: know well what uh, you're talking about uh, and I uh, had this uh, discussion with the superintendents before I gave the state of the state speech and and I said look this is what I want the money to go for this is what the legislature wants the money to go for that money is directed towards teachers towards uh, their raise and I don't want it allocated to other programs traditional additional programs I don't need any more superintendents, associate superintendents, vice superintendents, deputy superintendents, or anything that goes with that. I need teachers to start to be compensated a little bit more fairly.
0: It's very interesting that you left out another component of the problem once it's sent down. To I the knew room. you'd bring it yes, up. Yes, uh, exactly. You're, you know, your friends in the, in the teachers' unions will make the subject a collective bargaining, and they'll change what the governor intended often. Have you told your friends in the unions uh, uh, to, to, that you want this money to go, in. you can't mandate anything. I know. You can't. I know, I know you think you're all powerful now, but you can't do that. You can't do it. I know. So Don't that, tell them that, though, John. Okay, if you don't yeah, tell them right. that, I figured they might figure that out. So that's the frustrating thing, yeah. right? Isn't it? I mean, you, you want to do all this stuff, but eventually the money, so you have to rely on you essentially saying to the, to the superintendents and to the union leaders, listen, this is what I think you should do with the money. And don't forget, I'm the governor.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Don't forget I'm the governor, you know, there's going to be another budget coming in two years. Right. right. I've made that clear to both of our, all our labor partners that that's what my intention is. That's when the arguments against putting the categoricals into the DSA account that then it becomes subject of potentially collective bargaining resource. Uh, I firmly believe in my heart, John, that our educators want what's in the best interest of our students. I think the legislators want what's in the best interest of our students. I think the taxpayers want what's in the best interest of our students. And I think we need to bring them all together. Our students will benefit and our state will benefit as a result of that if we just get on the same page. We're going to sit around that same table, that oblong table. Great. The table that solves
0: all problems. Uh, Or maybe it's this one.
1: No, Uh, this is too small of a table. I need more people.
0: Read by 3 is one of the more controversial programs. There are some uh, members of your party who don't like that, as you know. Do you like that program, Read by 3?
1: Like I say, I think that the scorecard is out, the report card on all these programs. I think it's had some successes in some areas. Has it been demonstrated or codified in all areas? No. Uh, It's an expensive program, a lot of money, millions and millions of dollars reported in that program. Uh, I've got members of my party and the Republican Party and... Uh, but we're all members of the Nevada Party, and I think we need to sit down and say which of these programs work, and how do you get the money to those students? And uh, I Are think you skeptical that it gets- it'll work, Governor? Which? Holding kids back who can't read by three, are you skeptical of it? I'm skeptical if that'll even work. If if the teachers will really hold them back. I mean, you know, that's uh, first off, it's a difficult thing for a student to face to be held back. The peer pressure that that student's going to be under, if his and his or her friends all move up and that student is held back, that's a difficult thing for a kid to deal deal with when they're at that age. That's a difficult thing for uh, an adult to deal with. You know, when their peers kind of all pass them by and they're held back. I mean, it sounds good in theory, but in practicality, I don't know if it's going to work. I really don't.
0: Uh, one of the things that you've had to deal with that uh, uh, almost no other governor has really had to deal with, and uh, it's going on around the country, is dealing with the issue of school safety and, and, and violence in schools. And you talked about in your State of the State that a portion of the, of, uh, of the 10% marijuana tax going to preventing violence uh, in our school. How, how much of that tax is the entirety of it? Do you not know yet?
1: Oh, I don't know yet. And, and I can tell you that the tax isn't, the portion, the whole tax isn't going to be enough. I mean, there's an additional, there's a beginning part where we've got to do a lot to harden. There's a lot of hard things in the school, whether it's a locking systems, it's the fencing, it's the camera systems in the school, those sort of things. Those are expensive. Those huh? are very expensive. Those are very expensive, and I don't think we're going to be able to, unfortunately, do them all at one time. I don't think you're going to be able to count on the local jurisdictions, local school districts, to provide much in the way of resources. But I think we need to do more uh, proactively. I mean, I... I spend a lot of time with the counselors and the mental health professionals in our school they've got a waiting list of months to get into these counselors and these mental health professionals for these kids And and when a student wants to see a counselor or a mental health professional, they don't want to see one in March, they want to see one tomorrow. They're waiting a month? They're, wait, they're waiting a long time. John. Wow. They're waiting a long, long time. Yeah. So you're hiring, you do have a lot, you think they should hire a lot more mental health counselors in I do. In the I school. think we need to train more mental health people. Uh, oftentimes, these kids have nowhere else to go. They can't, they say, well, let them talk to their parents. Sometimes the parents are the problem. They can't talk to the parents. You know, the, they need to be able to talk to an independent person. And I think we need more mental health professionals. We need to do more. Uh, in terms of patrolling or watching as we do in the fusion center social media there's oftentimes a warning ahead of time for these kids and we're not doing that uh, because after the fact everybody says oh yeah I told so-and-so I told so-and-so or we thought that this person was a problem and nothing came from it so I think here's another area we need to be more proactive uh, <clears throat> what, what is your what is your general take on
0: charter schools they've had They've had what I would describe as mixed results yeah. here in Nevada. The online schools, some of them have been utter disasters, as you know. Um, you like charter schools?
1: I think that it provides somewhat of an option, but there are a lot of problems that are associated with it. One, they, uh, it's easier for them to gain in the rankings and have a higher performance level because they don't take kids with special needs. They don't take ELL students. They don't take the more difficult cases because they get to select who they take. Often it's done by a lottery. Uh, I don't think that they get as much of a a social interaction as I'd like to see as the other schools have, but uh, charter schools are something that we've got a lot of. Uh, In my commission district, we've approved a lot of charter schools. Uh, I think it's an experiment in our education system, and like you say, the results are very mixed. You don't seem like a big fan. Public schools are my number one priority. Well, charter... Don't tell me that charter schools are public schools. Yes. Charter schools are not necessarily the same as a public school. They are if public schools. A, but John, in a public school, everybody that uh, lives near that school is assigned to that school. In a charter school, it's not that way. It's just not the same. Sisalak hates
0: charter schools staff. That's, the, that's the <laughs> Sisalak uh, loves public
1: <laughs> schools staff. That's what you got put out there. Uh,
0: You know, I don't even know the answer. Did you send your kids to public or private schools?
1: My kids went to public, Durango High School, they went to a private school for their first eight years. Um, And the public schools were absolutely terrific. Durango High School was a great high school where my daughters graduated from. I,
0: I actually sent my kid to private school and then, and then public school for high school, too, and it, was a, it was a great high school. Why, why did, you, did you send to private? The reason I sent my kid to private school originally was because uh, uh, the, the, the kindergarten was like two hours, the, the all-day kindergarten was, and, and then I just got,
1: went up through the private school. Why did you send your kids to private school? My kids school? started in pre-kindergarten at the private school and stayed the whole time through eighth grade. Um, which brings up another issue
0: that I knew you knew I was going to bring up, which is school choice. And, and there are a lot of people... Um, wondering why you didn't include opportunity scholarships, which help low-income kids. Uh, they give tax credits to businesses. In case people don't know, know what they are, uh, that, that was a big deal to a lot of people. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it is in the Sisal
1: Act budget, is it? There are uh, the funding for opportunity schools that's required in statute is in the budget. It was five million dollars. It grew out I think 10 percent a year. Uh, that's in my budget. The expansion that Governor Sandoval had is not in my budget. Uh, Opportunity scholarships are a complicated form of uh, an ESA. I mean it it provides money that's available. Some schools took more advantage of that than other schools did Uh, and I would rather invest that extra 20 million dollars into our public education system. the op- that being said, the opportunity scholarships
0: required by NRS are still there. But I, I meant what was in the Sandoval budget is not in the Sisalac budget. That's correct, right? The Sisolak budget is one we're dealing with for the next few uh, years. I, I see. I see. Thank you for pointing that out to me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Do you understand, I mean, you're a parent, and, and, and you talk to a lot of parents. Do you understand the frustration that some parents have with the public school system where school choice, whether it's through ESAs, or through opportunity scholarships might say, you know what, I can't do it anymore. I want to try something different. Give me that $5,000 through the ESA or, or give me the grant. through. Do you understand why some parents feel that way?
1: I understand that parents are frustrated with their education system. I, I clearly get that, John. But I think it's difficult to be to look at the other side of it how can we be frustrated with a school system that is woefully underfunded we're funded worse than almost any other district in the united states of america uh and the, people say don't throw more money at it frankly you have to put more money into education if you want to have better results there's no two ways about it if if you want to recruit and retain the best teachers, you can't start them out at 39 dollars and $40,000 a year. It just isn't going to work. I met a young couple up in Reno, a uh, young man and woman. They're both teachers. And I said, how do you like it? They said, we absolutely love our jobs. Love it. The only downside is that our wages will never be able to afford to buy a house. And that's not fair. I mean, these, te- these teachers could do something else and make a lot more money. They care about our kids, and that's why I think that they should be uh, compensated a little bit more fairly. 3% is not enough, but that's where we're starting. I mean, the thought of teachers having to go out and buy their own pencils and pens and erasers and paper is ridiculous. We raised that from $100 to $180. I wish I could have raised it more, but I wanted to send a message to our educators that we do care about them, that we've got their back and we're going to try to improve our education system. One dollar at and one student at a time.
0: So you, you, you believe that uh, by advocating for school choice you're essentially raising a white flag on the public school system, is that what you think?
1: No, I think you're raising a white flag on it. I think that you've got to recognize that it's an underfunded. The people that are advocating for ESA should be advocating for more funding for public education. Because if we had more funding for public education we would have better schools. If you take these dollars out of the public school system we're gonna have a bigger shortfall in the public school system than we currently have. That's simply gonna exacerbate the problem.
0: All right, now I wanna move on because there's a lot more subjects to cover in the four hours that you've allotted to me tonight, and I appreciate it. Uh, I wanna talk, okay. obviously you have a lot of experience in, in, in higher ed through, be, through being a regent, and, and you learned a lot. Um, you said in your State of the State, let me, let me read to you one thing you said, we must continue to invest in our higher education system. In addition to funding for student enrollment growth, I am recommending funding for two new buildings, a health and sciences building at the College of Southern Nevada and a new education building at Nevada State College.
1: You're going to both point out that they're both in Southern Nevada, right?
0: Why do you hate the North so much? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I think that the capital and expenditures we made on our CIP, uh, improvement CIP budget are where they were the most needed. Those two are the most needed. We expanded some things that we finished the Veterans home up in Northern Nevada. We invested money in Northern Nevada, the same that we invested in Southern Nevada, but uh, 75, 80 percent of the population is in Southern Nevada, and these students needed the buildings, and I intend to bring the buildings there.
0: You know, I kind of, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, uh, like a lot of people did watching Tony Romo do the NFL game. Like he predicted exactly what the play was going to be. Like you already know the questions I'm going to ask. It's very disconcerting. That one I knew. Sir. You kind of <laughs> gave that away, John. You gave that away. Uh, the whole north-south issue is something though, that is it's existed for many, many years, as you know. You were perceived when you were on the border regions. This came up during the campaign for governor, even as being a southern partisan and 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 all for the south and 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 not so much for the north. There was a piece today. Uh, by some folks at UNLV I don't know if you saw it, an op-ed in the current uh, where they just just scorched Tom Riley and 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 for, for being biased uh, uh, and, and and not wanting to change some of these formulas there was a perception and a reality in Carson City for many years that Bill raggio may he rest in peace one of the greatest legislators ever and Joe Crowley also rest in peace uh, an amazing guy at UNR but they got all the spoils for UNR uh, 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 is that a real? Is that a reality?
1: I'd rather look through the front mirror than the rearview mirror. Looking back, John. Uh, That's a yes, too. <laughs> there was there was a feeling. I think that there was uh, more money going to the northern schools than going to the south. I remember when I was on the board and we did a study, and Great Basin was getting more than UNLV was getting. Uh, I think that Bill Raggio and Joe Dini and. Uh, did an incredible job representing their districts and their areas, and I respect that, and I admire both of those gentlemen. But I think that here again, as I said previously in uh, the discussion about uh, our public schools and our students, the money needs to follow the students, and the student growth is at UNLV, and particularly it's at Nevada State College and College of Southern Nevada. That's why they're getting the two buildings. That's where the enrollment growth is.
0: What, what are the issues in, in, in higher education that need to be addressed, that have not been addressed before, uh, that you can use your, frankly, unique knowledge at, at presiding over uh, a higher education as a regent that you can bring to being governor?
1: Well, I've had numerous discussions with the presidents and with the chancellor. We need to focus more on a degrees and certifications that people get coming out of it they're finishing these programs once they get in, they don't just start and then get out I think that there's a uh, a big problem I've had this discussion and we're trying to work with our school districts our universities and our labor unions every child should not go to college John I mean that's the stigma that has been there for a long long time you've got to go to college in order to be successful I spent 10 years on the Board of Regents and had the sad situation dealing with a lot of parents who'd call me up and say, look, my son or daughter just graduated, they got a liberal arts degree, these folks or the students accumulated $50,000, $60,000 in debt, and the best job they can get is an assistant manager at a fast food restaurant. I mean, that's what they can get. That's a problem. At the same time, I've got HVAC folks or plumbers that are making $80,000 a year and we can't train enough of them. So I want to invest in the career technical training that's necessary in our community colleges. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm a firm (laughs) believer that I get to speak a lot in high schools, as do you. And and I'll tell the kids, the first thing you've got to do is graduate from high school or get a GED. And once you do that, you've got three good opportunities. The first is you can uh, pursue a formal education. either community college or university, you can go into trade or you can go in the military. Those are your three options you have available. And they're all good options. But you've got a student on this hand who who spends five years to get a four-year degree and has got sixty, eighty thousand dollars in debt, like I say, and there's not a great job waiting for him because we're not training him for a job, we're training them for a degree. On the other hand, you get a student that becomes an apprentice is earning while they're learning, and at the end of five years, they're driving a brand new car, truck. They've got enough of a down payment on for a house, and they've, you know, they're going to make eighty or hundred thousand dollars the rest of their life. They've got a skill. Students need to know that that option's available for them. <laughs>
0: You, uh, in your state of the state, you talked about forming some new commissions. We already talked about one of them, the Patient Protection Commission. I want to talk about a couple other ones that are very, very interesting and break new ground in Nevada, frankly. One of them is this uh, Cannabis Compliance uh, Commission, which seems to be uh, um, uh, based to some extent on, on the gaming control re- regulation. Um, you didn't provide many details or why you really think this is needed. Uh, Here's
1: your chance. Here's your chance. I've got a lot of details and a lot of reason why I think it's needed. Uh, what we're going to do this week, we hope to, in the next week, 10 days, going to sign an executive order forming a task force that's going to come up with the param- parameters for the Cannabis Compliance Board. Uh, right now, we've had hundreds of million dollars invested in this cannabis industry. It's created a tremendous amount of jobs, good-paying jobs for our citizens in the state, and it's providing a lot of tax revenue. At the same time, we've got some real, real issues in the industry. The most important one to me is it's still a cash economy, that this provides a big safety concern. Uh, I dealt with this at the county when people are coming in with backpacks of $20 bills in order to pay their property tax, and somebody's got to count that, you know, and there's there's a banking problem there. You've got the problem as it relates to uh, consumption lounges. That, you know, we're selling this product, you can't consume it in your hotel room, you can't consume it in the car, you can't consume it outside, we're the folks supposed to partake or indulge in that. It's a, pardon my pun, flourishing, growing industry, and that was good, huh? And I want to provide uh, some guidance in terms of where they go. Uh, you've got different, everybody's got a different rule. Clark County's rules are different than North Las Vegas, which is different than Henderson, and is different than Sparks, and different than Washoe. It should be like gaming. It's the same set of rules all over the place. I am proud of the fact that the state of Nevada has the gold standard when it comes to gaming regulations. If we're going to be in the marijuana industry, and we are, we're in the marijuana business, I want us to have the gold standard. So I want a group of individuals to set down, here's the rules, and if you follow them, you've got no problem. If you don't follow them, you've got a problem. This last set of licenses that came out, you've written about it, I've read about it, there's a lot of controversy about how those were handed out. Uh, scoring behind closed doors, I'm very much in favor of. Gaming Commission meetings are transparent. Uh, Canvas Compliance Board meetings are transparent. They're going to be done in the open and everybody can see what happened and who got awarded what license and how. Shouldn't shouldn't. Shouldn't all this stuff that
0: happened behind closed doors with the awarding of the licenses, the scores, the names, shouldn't all that be released, Governor? Absolutely. Then why don't you make that happen? It's your state government now. We
1: are doing a... <laughs> a minute ago you said I had no control. That was my state government. No, either. no,
0: no. That's, uh, that's with Clark County. You <laughs> okay. know what uh,
1: We are looking at the entire process, what went through, and to determine... How best deal with the situation that I inherited from a previous administration. But they should be released, all that information. All that information should absolutely be released. One of the issues I'm dealing with my legal counsel now is we're already subject to several lawsuits as it relates to this, the preservation of materials and the scoring and whatnot, but that's all gonna be reviewed and It'll remain to be seen how we handle this moving forward. But in the future, the uh, awarding of these licenses should be done by someone, something like this board, this Cannabis Compliance Board, and it should all be done in the public. People should have a right to attend the hearings and to hear what's said and to hear what's promised, and uh, so people have some confidence in the system. Uh, can it? Uh, I suppose
0: there's a problem with making it retroactive in the sense that. Gaming, gaming applicants have to go and get licensed by the Gaming Control Board. Is that how it's gonna work in the future, or, or, or uh, that people are gonna have to get licenses to be in this industry? And can you go back and look at the people who may not have been vetted as well, and, and actually make them go through a process? What are the legal problems there, if there are any?
1: And there's a lot of legal problems, because I don't know when you get in the property right about having a license, right. even though it's a privileged license. I can tell you, this: we dealt with this at the county. We vetted these folks, for I think it was Three, four days. Those county commission meetings were 12 hour meetings. Oh, you and gave a
0: license to everybody who wanted one then you come No, we didn't. We, didn't. Come we on. really
1: didn't. Uh, Anybody
0: was rich. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, oh, geez, ouch, that was hard. Uh, no, we needed to. And then a year later, very few of those licensees remained. You know, right now, some of the licenses that were awarded this last time around are already being sold. I mean, we weren't selling winning lottery tickets. That wasn't the idea of what we were doing right. there. And, uh, we got away from the medical aspect, and it strictly became recreational. And the patients were in service, so we need to get a better handle on this. And I'm confident that working with the legislature to help form this board, we're like I'm going to put the task force together and work with the legislature, come up with a plan to implement a board that will be taken seriously. will have some authority. Are you worried that uh, there's corruption in that industry? Worried. Uh, I want to make sure that there's not corruption in that industry, and I'd rather be proactive. And avoid any undue influence or corruption from coming into that industry. You think there
0: is corruption now?
1: I want to make sure that no corruption comes into <laughs> that industry and avoid the appearance of any corruption in that industry. All right, um, I tried, guys. Uh, the
0: other, the other, a uh, uh, new commission or office. Ukraine is something called the Office of New Americans, and right. and you, and you talked, you talked in your speech you, you, with some passion, I think, about a dreamer you had met, Daisy. Uh, yep, yeah. um, and. and uh, There are a lot of amazing dreamers in this state. You know that, right? I do. And And they're not
1: recognized as much as they should be recognized for all that they do for our communities. Exactly. Exactly. I'm wondering
0: whether this is based on... uh, Mo Dennis, uh, the Democratic state senator, proposed something like this in 2017. There was a bill that essentially got scuttled because there was so much controversy. Oh, no, you're not going to help the legal and undocumented
1: residents with your Office of New Americans. Are you? Are you? John, my motivation behind this is I had a a young man working on my campaign. I took him from Congresswoman Titus, uh, Francisco Morales, who I had the pleasure. Anybody know Francisco? Mm. He's an incredible young man. Yep. Uh, I had the pleasure of going to him with him when he voted for the first time after becoming a citizen and got his right to vote. And he took me, uh, he was my outreach director in the Latino-Hispanic community, and I got to spend a lot of time in uh, some of our businesses. And and I know how hard these folks work. I know how hard these business owners are working. And I'm not talking 40-hour weeks. They are working 14 hours a day, seven days a week, to make their business work and support their family and oftentimes they don't know what opportunities are available, what options are available, and the investment in an office like this, I think, will make them uh, more aware. It'll make people uh, have more access to services that are available, and that's our intention behind doing it. But when you when you talk about dreamers, when you talk about dreamers, uh,
0: dreamers are not citizens. In fact, maybe the most famous dreamer in the country, Astrid Silva, will, will uh, on Twitter very regularly <laughs> Very regularly, you can always cheer for Astrid that's fine with me uh, put out that just a reminder dreamers are
1: not citizens but they okay. should be given a path to citizenship
0: <laughs> are you announcing your candidacy against Catherine Cortez masto for the <laughs> u.s Senate now uh, but 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 seriously that does that mean that dreamers and other undocumented workers are going to be welcome in the office of new americans
1: i want the office of new americans to help any immigrant in this country that needs access to services that might legal be legal or otherwise i want them to have access to people that need help finding services will be able to find it in that office w- whether they're legal or not i want people that have need to have access for services to be able to go to that office and but obtain you know what you're to.
0: inviting here i mean Listen, it's terrible what's going on in this country. It and, is. And, and And you saw it in your campaign, too, where there's demagoguing about sanctuary cities and sanctuary states as a way to divide people and do dog whistling to, to racism and all the rest of it. You, you, right here, you seem – this is what happened with Mo Dennis's bill. Is you don't say specifically what it's going to do. Then you're, then you're going to have all of this happen again. Are you not, Governor?
1: I don't believe we are, John. I, I'm not uh – I don't like fear-mongering, and I don't like, you know, uh, judgments being made. Uh, I'm talking about human lives. I mean, people talk in such platitudes and at 30,000-foot level about this. These are real people with real problems and real lives, and if we can provide services for immigrants in this country, I want to do it.
0: I'll ask the question one other way.
1: Ready? I'm going to give you the same answer, John. Go ahead.
0: It's going to be tough to give the same answer to this question. Would Astrid Silva be welcome in the Office of New Americans? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you know, mention, mentioning the... Uh, the, the, the so, so is Daisy. I, right, exactly. Another teacher, dreamer. Another dreamer. Uh, mentioning all that nonsense that went on here with sanctuary cities and, 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 and all that stuff, what do you think about the issue of whether local jails... Uh, should refer people to ICE and, 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 and deportation proceedings? They've just gotten, like, traffic tickets or something.
1: This is a, an issue that I spent a lot of time when it's on the County Commission with Sheriff Lombardo on this issue with ICE. We were proactive. Uh, if it was a minor violation, there was never a report to ICE. There, In my discussions with the sheriff, that's never his intention to do that. Uh, we did. We had a shorter hold than it was required in order. Uh, ICE very seldom came and picked anybody up. And uh, if the violent criminal, the worst of the worst, Uh, the felons that are going to break the law, yes, they need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and deported. But people that are convicted of shoplifting or traffic violations, I mean, uh, there's no need for that. what's,
0: What's the dividing line? Where's the line of demarcation? Is it misdemeanors? Is it certain felonies? Where is it?
1: That's your job as a reporter to get this specific. Isn't it? Oh, here yeah. we go. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not defining minor and major, but if it's a violent crime, that's one thing. A nonviolent crime is another thing.
0: All right. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. I don't want to keep you much more than about 15, 20 more minutes. I've got a few other questions <laughs> on my list. Um, as someone who's been around a long time, and some people in this room who've been around the legislative process a long time, probably the most stunning thing that you said in your state of the state was that you are going to push for collective bargaining for state employees. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people in this room who support it, but it's very controversial, and I think you know why. In fact, I mentioned him already, Bill Raggio. He used to say every cycle, if they ever pass collective bargaining for state employees, it's going to totally destroy how this state works. It's going to bust the budget, uh, or it'll force cuts in the budget uh... it'll it'll essentially make the legislature irrelevant don't cheer for that please uh... and and that there are serious policy implications and there's a reason that it hasn't been done in the past
1: what's the reason john what
0: What? politics
1: Uh, politics right our state employees should be treated in a fair and respectful manner the fact that they haven't had a raise in ten years and the fact that they don't have the same working conditions that other jurisdictions had. I'm coming from a county that employees did have collective bargaining. I can they tell They make you, a lot
0: more money than the state employees, do they? They make a lot more money, they?
1: and you're absolutely right, and that's one of the big problems. You can't expect the state to run when it's headquartered in Carson City, which is away from the vast majority of the population. The pay is probably 30 to 40 percent less than any other governmental entity that exists, and to attract good people at those wages is simply not going to happen. They are first-class citizens. They're first-class workers that keep our roads safe, they protect our families, and they deserve fair wages and uh, reasonable working conditions. And I think allowing that discussion to move forward with collective bargaining is a positive thing that's long overdue. Uh,
0: Even with what you just said, you understand it's going to cost the state a lot more money. Not this much, a lot more. I'm not saying it's not good policy. Are you willing to be the governor who who signs a collective bargaining for state employees bill,
1: knowing that no budget will ever look the same. We're going to invest in our people, John. I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a downside. We're going to invest in the people that provide services to the state of Nevada, and that we're going to have to find the resources in order to make those accommodations. Yes. So you hope you get a bill that, that you can sign? I hope that the legislature can work out the details
0: when we bring this forward. Yes, I do. Okay. Um, a couple other labor issues, obviously, that came up. Uh, obviously, the minimum wage has come up a, a lot. You said uh, it's impossible for an individual, let alone a family, uh, to live on $7.25 an hour. What could they live on?
1: I don't know. I think that, you know, if you, I'd like to get uh, the minimum wage up to the $12 range minimum at that at some point. That can't be done in well fell, one fell swoop. It has to be done over a period of years, you know, dollar and a quarter year for three years, four years, something like that, Dollar a year. Uh, I think that that's more of a, uh, a living wage, but it's not gonna affect our, our hotels. I mean, they're all under contract. They're making more than this, most folks. These are more for the uh, fast food type industries that are getting the minimum wage. So you envision a, a, a bill that sets out dates for it going up
0: about, as you said, a dollar and a quarter per year until it gets to 12? That's, that's what you envision? What
1: I envision is the legislature to sit down around this table, not this hypothetical <laughs> table, with all of the business partners and come up with a plan to say, look, this is what we can live with, the same as with paid sick leave, or maternity leave, is to sit down with the various interested parties and say, what can we come to, what kind of consensus that's going to work for everybody, and I'd be willing to sign that.
0: But you did say, uh, 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 I heard you say it, and it's on tape now, a dollar and a quarter uh, a year, maybe something like, like that, that up, yeah. up to twelve. And you mentioned paid sick leave as, as, as well in, in your state of the state. You mentioned you mentioned uh, equal pay. Uh, uh,
1: uh, I mean, well, some of this is common sense. Equal pay. Who's going to argue with equal pay? I mean, it, it's so long overdue. It's yeah, absolutely.
0: And 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 paid paid leave for. What are your ideas on that? How should that be codified?
1: Well, there's got to be a way that you can't do it for the smallest of businesses that have two or three employees, certainly, because that would be too much of a burden. But I think if you had, and here again, it would have to be, you know, reasoned out, you know, compromise, whether it's you've got 20 employees or 15 or 25 or whatever, They're based on their longevity with the companies, they're entitled to five, ten, six days a year.
0: All right, I'm going to go through a few other issues. And you got then, more? Yeah, oh boy. I'm about halfway done. Um, So... uh, uh, These folks want to go home. I want to do... uh, No, they want to stay here all night with us, Governor. um, They do, right? (laughs) Applause. All right. See... (laughs) Never let the people make the decisions. Uh, (laughs) They made the decision. That's
1: why I'm here tonight, John. They They made the decision. He's
0: good. Um, let's, let's let's go through a few law and okay. order uh, issues, uh, if we can, r- r- real quickly. Um, there's going to be a lot of talk about criminal justice reform. Uh, it's a big deal uh, to, to the Speaker, I, I know that, and it, it is to, to the Attorney General, too, when he was the Senate Majority Leader, and they uh, talked a lot about it. Uh, how committed are you
1: to criminal justice reform, and what do you support? I'm very committed to criminal justice reform. Cash bail is a big problem for people. Uh, you s- you said during the
0: debate that you'd be willing to end it.
1: Yeah, I, I would because you know what you do, and and here again, I'm taking a lot of the experience I've got at the county level, the local level, and moving at the state level. You've got people that are arrested, they're incarcerated. Bail is set so high that they can't make bail. They, you know, first thing you do is you lose your job, then you lose your apartment, or you lose your house. You end up losing your family, and you might not even be guilty in the first place. Uh, that's something. The charge stacking is a problem. Cash bails are a problem. Uh, I'm in favor of banning the box so that you know you don't have to keep revealing that. People that serve their time, uh, the first lady and I got to stop at you know High Desert and visit some of those folks. I think people that do their time deserve a second chance. They've earned a second chance, and we'd like to reintegrate them into society. What about?
0: What, what, what about, for instance, like sealing pot misdemeanors? So that, that's come up, too, as part of criminal... If movement.
1: I had my choice, John, I'd like to work with the legislature. I'd like to expunge misdemeanor pot records for people. There have also been proposals in the past to ban
0: private prisons. Uh, you think that's a good idea or not? I do. I do. So much news. Am I right? Thank you. you uh,
1: You're going to have a field day with this on your Twitter account. No. I can only
0: imagine. I just feel sorry for my staff. i got to do about 10 stories out of this. Any, anyhow, the issue of background checks has come up a lot, as you know. They're clapping for me here. Um, I'm working with the legislature, you said, to implement common sense background checks on all firearm sales in Nevada. Great applause line. Go ahead, applaud. The question, of course, as you know, is how. It's not that easy, the FBI being an impediment uh, to the the implementation, perhaps. Uh, How do you really get this done? Do you know?
1: I do know. I do know how we're planning to do it. We're working with uh, both the Attorney General's office and and my council to roll out a plan that we have to uh, be able to implement background checks. I know the NRA has already put out a video in opposition to what I said in my State of the State address, but I feel very, very strongly that background checks do save lives. There's not a doubt in my mind. Every day, John, I believe in this country, some individual that has a restraining order against them goes and buys a gun and can kill the person that got the restraining order against them. I fly a lot since I've, you know, started campaigning and been elected. And it's, to me, it's unimaginable. You can get on the plane, you can be on a no-fly list, and you can still buy a gun. I mean, how can you be stopped at TSA, be on a no-fly list, but you can go down and buy a gun? It makes no sense whatsoever. I think there is a way that we're working on to implement the background checks, and I'm hopeful we're gonna be able to roll it out quickly after the beginning of session.
0: Does it require legislation to do it, or... or, or, or why, why are you not telling... you we're told us got, everything else, you might as well come.
1: We're at a sensitive stage, I think, and uh, I don't wanna... Are there back-channel negotiations with the, with the FBI going on? We're at a sensitive stage right now in terms of negotiating, <laughs> John. And, you know, I don't want to do that. But you but feel
0: confident you're going to be able to get to some resolution soon after the session starts? I do. I and do. be able to say, finally, after this thing passed several cycles ago, it's going to be implemented.
1: Finally, after what the people voted for cycles ago, is going to be implemented. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. Yeah.
0: You for or against the death penalty? I'm opposed to the death penalty. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go through some quick questions here. Um, Since we brought it up, and I know you want to talk about it again, I'm going to bring up uh, uh, the Raiders in a way. You're Um, just mad because they beat the Buffalo Bills. That's your only problem. The Bills had a better record than the Raiders, pal. We're building. (laughs) The Raiders are building Mm. for 2020. Um, so, what about the whole philosophy of, of, of the, the governor bought into, and that Goed has bought into of tax incentives? Are you happy with the job Goed does? Because even though it was, it, it came out that. And I think we asked one of your budget folks if you cut anything. It looks like you're you're not that happy with GOED. There's a couple things in there that are not there anywhere. $4 million for workforce funding. You're smiling. He said, oh, we found that. And $5 million... You did go through that budget <laughs> and, with a fine-tooth comb,
1: John. i give you credit. You did And find
0: $5 that. million that the, that the governor had in there for small business and entrepreneurial initiatives. Are you not happy with what GOED is
1: doing? We've got a small business advocate going into the lieutenant governor's office that I think is going to suit that just fine. Uh, I think that some of what uh, GOA did has absolutely done great things for the state of Nevada, particularly bringing in uh, Tesla up there. But I think there were some unintended consequences that were not well thought through at the time, such as I think it's driven up the uh, housing prices in northern Nevada to extreme where people can't afford to buy a house. I think it's overcrowded some of our schools up there. I think it's caused a shortage in workforce up there and driven up the price of labor that those weren't anticipated. I-80 isn't wide enough going out to where the factory is. If there's a flat tire, it causes a 45-minute delay. So I, I think Tesla or GoEd's done some good things. At the same time, I'm I'm more into a, a smaller business philosophy than hitting a grandstand. But you're cutting out return.
0: these things that would have helped small businesses, right?
1: Well, I think that the GoEd philosophy that, that's there is different than my philosophy is, so I'm going to at some point, move in a little bit different direction towards smaller, mid-sized businesses. Oh, is
0: that right? Okay, more news. Um, you want to talk more about the Raiders That's being a bad really team? That's not really news. No,
1: you can okay. they're building. Oh, I told no. you, All they're right. building for 2020.
0: All right, let's talk about a couple other uh, issues, including the environment. Uh, are you for or against Mountain? No, I'm kidding. Hang on.
1: Not one ounce of nuclear waste, John. Not one
0: ounce. Oh, stop it. Come on. Uh... You still opposed to the, the rural water importation project, as you said during the campaign?
1: I am. Uh, I, I've, I've, got a, uh, I've spent a lot of time up north and, you know, we've got very fri- fragile aquifers. I think that we brought a new water engineer on board and uh, have a great opportunity to uh, get a better understanding of where it's at. There's a shortage of water, clearly. Uh, I've made a directive. I've talked to the uh, chancellor and the head of both universities in DRI, I think we need to do much more uh, at our universities in terms of desalinization research. I really believe that that's something that should have been done at the Water Authority when I was there 10 years ago, as opposed to investing 70 million dollars into ranches up north and buying water rights. Uh, We should have explored more desalinization like the one plant that we've invested in in Mexico. And traded for more Colorado River because ultimately that's we have no shortage of seawater, and ultimately I think that's what we're going to have to do. And I also think that our universities should be spending more time and research on uh, renewable energy than they're doing. So
0: <laughs> you plan to make good on that promise, you're going to stay opposed to it, you're going to do everything you can to find alternatives, is what you're saying. I am going to do everything I can, yes, sir. And Pat Mulroy's not going to have a role in your administration, I gather. Well, no, I'm just kidding for everyone who gets that one. Anyhow, um,
1: now everybody gets that joke. Down. Yeah, that's, I know. that's a I you know. and me I joke. Okay. That's, that's a...
0: You know what? That's good enough
1: for me. Right now. <laughs> I know it is. Yeah, you'll be <laughs> laughing about this <laughs> right, one on the yeah, way exactly. home. I know you will. Yeah. Um,
0: well, what, what you know, our our our, our reporter who who uh, uh, I just has been a revelation. Daniel Rothberg has done all these great yep. stories uh, on water in in the state. And I'm just wondering if you've. Uh, have you thought about Nevada's role on the Colorado and, and, and what you're going to do going forward? There's all kinds of policy concerns about the allocation. Yeah.
1: Dan, Daniel has written some good pieces on that. It's, uh, I've served on every water agency we've had, the Colorado River Commission, Water District, Water Authority, Big Bend, and every water uh, issue and every water board. People say, well, why don't you reallocate the Colorado River? We're not going to get any more water out of the Colorado River. For us to get more water would mean some other state would have to give up some of their water. No state is going to give up part of their allocation for the Colorado River. It's not going to happen. So the only way we can get some of that would be to trade for it or purchase it from them, i.e., if we put a desalinization plant that they can produce, you know, whatever it might be, 50,000, 100,000 acre-feet of water, that we could trade for that water coming out of the Colorado River that otherwise they would have gotten. That's the only way, is to replace what they would have gotten. That's the only way we're going to get more water. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, one other, real
0: po- quickly, a policy issue that Daniel has covered, and I gather is really big in the water world, This the state engineer, most people don't know what the state engineer is, but it's an immensely powerful position. Incredibly. Uh, and there's there's some talk about allowing a, a different kind of person to serve, like a, a water lawyer or a hydrologist. Have you picked up on this at all, Governor? Yeah,
1: I have. And, and it's really, uh, that's a difficult area because there is not a lot of expertise in this area. Right. There's not a lot of lawyers that are water experts, water rights experts. There's not a lot of water engineers. And that's something that we're looking into because we've got to make permanent long-term replacements in that department. There is just a shortage of talent as it relates to that and that's something that again we talk about at our university level I mean we've got law schools but we're not training people in water law we're not you know we're not training engineers in in water law and we need to do more of that we need to we're not training our lawyers in nuclear energy which we should be doing uh, those are areas that I think we need to be a little smarter a little more proactive in. Uh-
0: you know, what's going to really happen after this is all kinds of people are going to email me and say, why didn't you ask the governor about that? How could you know? So I, I just have a few more questions. I'm still going to get it, and then, then we'll be done. I promise. Uh, you mentioned... You said ex- that 30 minutes ago. I know. Am I, am I good or what? All huh? right. No. Um, these guys, they'd let me go all night, but you've been very, very, more than generous with your time, governor. Just a couple other quick things. A couple, <laughs> a couple meaning 14. No, I I'm, so you mentioned expanding early voting in, in, in your uh, speech. That's a big deal. How much?
1: How much should we expand it? Is it a week? Two weeks? Uh, should we start voting thoroughly now I enjoyed 2020? your early voting analysis every day, John. Thank every you. Every day. Uh, you're, under, you're analyzing every county and every mill. Mm-hmm. Does he know early voting? Mm-hmm. They call him early voting, John. Uh, I think that early voting makes it, uh, I guess, more accessible for folks, easier folks. I know you're not a uh, supporter of early voting. You believe people voting Election Day. But I think when you saw what we had this time, that there were such massive lines, even with all the early voting, I would think that another uh, one to two weeks of early voting would be helpful. Okay. Um,
0: Big issue up there, you followed up probably last session uh, and forever, is is payday loans. You you think that there should be a cap? There are in other states.
1: I think this is another one of these issues, John, that we need to find a compromise. I mean, there's some people that use payday loans uh, in a... Good manner. I can tell you, one of our payday loan companies—in fact, two of our payday loan companies—one is a payday loan company; the other is a, uh, I guess it's a lending company. It's a little bit different. Uh, offered free $2,500 loans to all our federal employees, interest-free during the strike, <coughs> which I thought was a pretty generous offer for them to make for folks that are are strapped right now. Some people can use payday loans responsibly; other people can't use payday loans. Whether that's the government's place to interfere or intervene in that, I'm not totally sure. I'm happy to listen to both sides. But it's a need. A lot of people in Nevada do not have bank accounts. A lot more don't have them than you realize don't have them. And uh, sometimes people need to access money, and they can't get it from a bank. And I don't know what the alternative, frankly. Uh Another big issue that's come up
0: lately, is, and it's a big concern to a lot of people, regular folks and to big casino companies, is a uh, a reworking of uh, of the opinion of what the Wire Act does. And it is now, there is now a new opinion essentially that could threaten the existence of online gaming, which your predecessor and legislature has been very, very supportive of. Are you going to do anything as governor on that? Are you going to write a letter? Are you going to call your friend Donald Trump? What what are are you going to do?
1: I don't even have his phone number. I don't (laughs) think I could call him. uh, Are you concerned about it? Where do you come down on that? I am concerned about it. I'm concerned about anything that's going to impact the biggest industry we have, the hospitality gaming industry in the San Nevada. Uh, I don't know what, as governor, I can do other than use the bully pulpit to speak out. Uh, I was a little surprised, not just that it changed, but businesses, the one thing I've learned in in my uh, 65 years is businesses need... Consistency and continuity. You can't have regulations changing like this. And when they rely on them and they invest based on a regulation, it's just not a good thing to not be able to have security knowing that that's going to stay the same. That's a bigger issue to me than just as it relates with the WIRE uh, Act.
0: One thing, I don't want to bore people to death, uh, but PERS, uh, uh, there's been countless stories written about PERS. Are you a PERS is okay, status quo kind of guy, or Pers needs reform kind of guy. Well, <clears throat> I, I, you might have some unique knowledge of this, by the way. I don't know how many people know that his that the first lady uh, was on the Pers board until recently. She
1: was chair of the Pers board right. until recently. So, what yeah. did she tell you? Is it okay? Everything fine? She's told me a lot about Pers. I know more about Pers than I think <coughs> I ever was gonna know until uh, I got married. Uh, we have probably the best Pers system uh, in this in the country. Uh, we get a much higher rate of return than any other system does. Uh, without the expenses that other systems have. That being said, uh, there's a three-quarters of a percent rate increase this year for PERS, which is a 30-40 million, $40 million range you know, for the state government. The local jurisdictions are going to get hit with the same thing. Uh, benefits are escalating, but ours is funded <laughs> better than anybody else's funded. Now, what do you get into this? Is it... funded because nobody's taking out all the money at one time. It's a defined benefit system, which, you know, that's uh, what we have here. Changing and having a double tier system would be extremely difficult at this point to change. Uh, It'd be nice to get a little bit of return on it, but right now that's the best return that we're going to get.
0: Uh, Final uh, subject matter before I wrap uh, and ask you a final question. So this is kind of the penultimate question.
1: Final subject Uh, matter before the final question. This is
0: good. (laughs) Boy, you are good. (laughs) I've had to pull out all my tricks with you tonight. Uh, Big issue that's gone back and forth, too, is this issue of occupational licenses, which I'm sure you follow a little bit. Some people consider that, some people think they're too onerous. Uh, that there's too many of them. That these occupations need licenses. Is this something you're going to look into or not?
1: Yeah, we're, I want to look into the licenses, and I want to look into the boards as well. Whether you get, and, and I'm not demeaning any of these professions, but I don't know how much control the states should have over interior decorators and barber shops and cosmetologists, and the list goes on and on and on. And and I don't know if it's really the state's function to provide these licensure to provide the boards that regulate this. When I saw the list of boards that we have for these various things, I know at one point some legislator thought that it's really important to have the alfalfa seed board. I don't know who came up with that board, but it's important to the people that are on the board. I don't know who else, but it's important to some people. I think we need to do a uh, really close deep dive into that. How many of them are really necessary and if we really need to be doing some of these licenses. So you're gonna do something, you're gonna have someone
0: look at their, okay. So, you just mentioned this, and it's kind of maybe a strange thing to wrap on, but um, you mentioned that you're 65. I am. Um, and I, I started thinking about that before you, I knew how old you were. You just turned 65. Say happy birthday to him. He just had his thank birthday. Thank
1: you. I had my birthday two days before I got married, so yeah, that was exactly, a good thing. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You were the oldest governor to be elected since Vale Pittman 75 years ago. <laughs> You're killing me, John. Yeah. That's what you came up with as my last question. Wait, OK. Wait. So. There's more. Oh, good. Okay. So the, the campaign was grueling. It was. Um, I don't think you missed a day, though. I didn't. Um, and, but I think people, I think it's a legitimate question to ask, being the oldest governor in 75 years. Did I mention that yet? Um, <laughs> you've sat up here for a grueling 90 minutes with me.
1: It's been fun. How's your health? Is it good? It's great. My yep. health is really, really good. I, uh, it's gotten better since I got married. I'm, you know, <laughs> sleeping more, eating less, exercising more, all those good things. My health is good. I'm in good shape. It's probably the uh, best it's been in quite a while. It was a tough campaign. Both campaigns were tough. Uh, long, long days, but I got a lot out of it. I really enjoyed meeting people. Uh, I enjoyed traveling around the state and in, in visiting and seeing real-world problems. And I ran into you and... In, uh, the airport up at Reno my last time back and it's amazing I sit down in the seat and people are like really you're the governor?" they can come up and shake your hand and not many states can you do that and I fully understand that and I think I'm very fortunate and blessed that I could come to a meeting like this you know an event like this and be able to take questions and answer some questions but uh, I'm still feeling really good my health is good and I think I've got some good years in me that we can accomplish some good things for the state of Nevada. I've learned a lot in the last 20 years and, and I'm it forward. Well, Governor, I want to
0: say, I want to say again how much I appreciate your willingness to do this. Uh, you and I have known each other a long time. I really do appreciate it. And I think I speak for everybody in this room and many people in Nevada. Uh, who wish you the best and, and good luck uh, uh, in, in, when the legislature starts? Because your life is about to be not as fun. Governor, thanks for coming. Thanks,
1: Jeff.
0: <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank